Good job. So, uh, all right, well, we have been working on a certain summer or certain series, The Mind of Christ, and we've been looking at Paul's letter to the Philippians. It's been a little bit since we talked, so we'll kind of review where we, where we left off, right? Uh, Paul started off last week by telling us, hey, there's reminding us that there's purpose, even even in prison. In other words, Paul's locked up in prison. He's so happy that he's there because God's still uh, using Paul besides, in spite, despite being in prison, to minister and proclaim God's goodness right there in the prison. You can go to the next slide. Uh, and, and to be able to share the gospel and, and so that it became known throughout all the Roman guard, why Paul was there, about this guy named Jesus, and about all this stuff that's been going on, and, and Paul's celebrating even as he's locked up. And, and he just, it goes on to, you know, uh, that, that section of Philippians to say that our circumstances, they don't, what happens to us on the outside, it doesn't inhibit God's plan for our life, but God uses our circumstances. Whether we think the circumstances are good or bad is irrelevant. God uses whatever circumstances we are in to accomplish his plan for our life. So Paul's circumstances that he was in prison for proclaiming the gospel, and God's accomplished his plan right there for Paul. So wherever he is, the circumstances don't stop God's plan. He actually uses them for his advantage. And then he mentioned again that taking a stand for Christ inspires others to be bold. That as he was taking a stand, even in prison, other people were hearing about this, what Paul was going through, and that he was still standing. And it inspired them to also take stands. And, and we talked a little bit about how us, you and I, we can inspire other people. Uh, I just had this great conversation. It was, what, two weeks ago, Trace, uh, with our, our, I, our, uh, our New City Kids volunteers. we got a lot of students in this room that volunteer with our kids downstairs on Sundays. And I was just telling them this story about how I can remember, uh, I wish he was in here, uh, Brady Gillette, if some of you guys know, know that family, uh, he, was, he was still a pretty little guy. He had just come downstairs. And if any of you remember Satch and Cayman Wolf, I mean, they're in pretty good shape. I think Satch is going to end up in the Olympics here before long. And uh, we were going to, they were all joking, we were going to have a push-up contest. And uh, I was going to lose, okay? I'm not in the Army anymore. And uh, anyway, little Brady Gillette looks up and he goes, Sean's going to win. He's got six-pack abs. <laughs> now... I do not have six-pack abs, okay? And I did not have them dead either. And the point was to that, to Brady Gillette, who was in kindergarten, he looked up to me, and he saw something different. And in the same way I was telling all my young volunteers, look, to those kids down there that you're teaching, they look up to you. And, and you taking time to care and get involved and, and have conversations with them actually makes a real big difference because, you know, Trace stands pretty tall. To say kids look up to him is a kind of an understatement, right? Like, yeah, they, they look up. But the truth is they do. And Paul's saying, look, you guys don't even know it. But every single person in this room right here, every one of you, somebody looks up to you. They look up to you. Whether you think they do or not, they do. 
And there is a world that you have powerful influence of, whether you recognize it or not. They look up to you. And, uh, man, we, we have a mission to point them to Christ. And it's a great reminder from Paul. And then, again, he, go, he went on. He said, God's plan and purpose is greater than my haters. You know, there were some people that were doing some things. Uh, and what they were doing in itself was good, but their motives were not good. And, uh, well, we, the, the verse, you know, we, we went through, why, why does all that matter? Okay, we'll get to the verse. I can trust God to work His purpose in my life through good and hard times in my life, no matter what. And then the other thing we kind of learned from Paul last week is I don't have to cave into jealousy, envy, or peer pressure. I don't have to do that. I can just trust God, whatever the circumstance is. I don't have to worry about what the guy to my left or right or the girl to my left or right is doing. I can trust God for me. And that's, that's pretty great news. But where it ended is, as he's talking about these people, and, and some people were, you know, they were other preachers who were like, had ambition to be bigger than Paul, you know? You ever see, you know, you might have some athletes that, man, they want to be the captain. They don't want you to be the captain. So they, they, it isn't that they're not trying to do the right thing by doing a good job on the team, but they have some false motives. And, he, and Paul was dealing with some of this. And, and Paul says, I don't care about that. I just care that they're doing what they're supposed to do. And he says, what then? Only that in every way, rather in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. And it was funny, I reread that verse this week. And man, that just struck me. I want you to catch what he's saying here. He's saying, look, he doesn't bury his head in the sand and say, oh, those are good dudes. Oh, they're up to no good. Uh, you know, their, their motives are not pure. But he doesn't focus on that. He doesn't dwell on the negative thing. Instead of getting caught up in that and getting caught up in the negative. What, what, man, what are them guys trying to do to me? What are they hating on me for? He doesn't get caught up in any of that. He looks for a reason to rejoice in what they're doing. And for him, that well, Christ is proclaimed. And that's good enough. In other words, when he's looking at the milk, he is searching like a, like a kid with a magnifying glass. He is looking for the reason to celebrate. When he's looking at the glass, he's not saying it's half empty. He is looking for the reason to say it's half full. And man, in our lives, as a practical lesson, man, if you guys hear me, we're going to be confronted with issues and problems our entire life. Everybody here, you guys are teenagers, you're starting to catch on. The world does not look like Disney, okay? It doesn't work like that. It, all right. What are you going to do about it, though? And how is your attitude? Because I tell you what, I can look at the world and I can look at people that hurt me or look at situations and I can let that consume me. Fill me with despair and depression and or I can start looking for the good things that God is doing in different situations. I can shift my focus there. Now in one way, I'm going to tell you what it creates. Depression and despair and anxiety, and all these other things. But when I can shift my mind and I can start looking at the good, it doesn't say that there's no bad out there, but all of a sudden that, I, I can get some peace. I can find joy. I can find contentment in the face of circumstances in my life that may be hard. I can still find joy. I can, I can make a choice. The cup is half full. Paul says at the end, hey, I rejoice. I'm not worried about my hate. I'm going, to find their, I'm going to find a reason to celebrate these haters. Who cares what they're doing? I care about the, what, what's God doing here. I love that. It's a great lesson. And that's, he, he just leaves us off with that. And as we pick up this week, 
So we continue forward in Philippians 1. Well, Paul continues that theme. He says, I will rejoice. So here we go. Philippians 1, verse 18 through 20. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will, this situation he's in, he's in prison right now in Rome, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether in life or by death. And Paul begins, he says, I will rejoice. It's a choice. In other words, no matter what the circumstances are, I choose to rejoice. I'm going to find the positive here. And what is this rejoice? I mean, I mean, it, you know, that's not necessarily a word you walk around saying at school. Hey, man, I'm rejoicing life. Probably not doing that, right? You may not. But, I mean, it, it means what you think it means. To be cheerful. To be happy. To be positive. To be celebrating in your spirit. To be, to be looking for that. You know, you, you know some people in your life that are like that. And some of them, you're really excited and everybody loves to be around them. And some of them, when you're having a bad day, you're like, man, turn it off. <laughs> but that's what we're called to, to rejoice. Look for reasons to rejoice. We have far more reasons. And Paul says, not only do I got reasons to rejoice, but I will rejoice no matter what is going on. No matter what the circumstances are. And he goes to big extremes. Paul says, there's a purpose for me to rejoice whether it's in life or even in death. Philippians 1, 21 through 24, and he really pans this thing out. He goes, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. That means I got stuff to do, and that's good. Yeah! Which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. In other words, which is better? My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. And Paul gives us this reminder. He says, look, life or death? I don't need to be scared of death. I mean, what is on the other side? We just sang this song. He's reminding us that the glory, that the, what is in front of us when we die as Christians is far greater, far superior than anything we can experience here today. Anything. It's far greater. As a matter of fact, what, what did we just sing? We just sang that song, Christ Be Magnified. I, I requested that song to be sung tonight, the last song, and here's why. Listen to the lyric. Death is just a doorway into everlasting life. If I join you in your suffering, then I'll join you when I die. Death isn't something to be scared of. Dying makes us nervous, right? John, John and I and Helen had this great conversation on Monday, not paying attention to all, you know, looking at all this, but it just, yeah, for a Christian, death isn't scary. I get to go home and be with Jesus. Cannot wait for that day. But... That's not my decision to determine what that day is. I'm not in that kind of a race. And no matter what, whether uh, God's decision for me today is to be here talking to you guys, or 
whatever, if I had a heart attack right now in front of you and that was literally God's purpose, then I'm going home to be with him. Regardless of which, there's purpose. And what Paul is saying, I'm content with that purpose, whatever it is. And Paul says, if I'm here, if that's my purpose, then I need to live here on purpose. I need to seek God's purpose in my life. I need to pursue that thing with my whole heart. And he says, what's, what's best? Well, it's, it's, it's best, right, to be with Jesus. Like if I just had to weigh it out, well, in heaven, no suffering, no tears, no crying, no death. Well, that's, that's best, right? But his answer really, yes, that's, that's best. But what's really best for him God's purpose for my life at this time in serving you, that's best. In other words, God's purpose for my life is best, and God's purpose right now in my life is to serve you. And I love what he says in that. He says, look, I'm here, Philippians 1, 25 through 26. I am convinced of this. In other words, convinced that I'm not going to die here, that I still have work to do, that I have a purpose in serving you. That's God's purpose for my life. Convinced of this. I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. This is a big statement that Paul is making here. A huge statement. You understand he's locked up in Rome. Now, I, I, I'm not going to jump to the end of the story, but he doesn't know what's going to happen. Lots of Christians are dying. Understand that. Not everybody's happy that they were Christians back then. And Paul's on trial. And he doesn't have a crystal ball, but he says confidently, I am convinced, I know I will remain and continue with you all. And it's a big statement, this convinced I know it's he is certain that this will be the case. And there's no like outside circumstance. This is a prophetic type thing that is being said. And here's what's crazy. Paul's right. We don't get all the details. All right, we don't. When we read the book of Acts, it really gives the tail end of Paul's life. It, it, it's funny, this part is not there. It doesn't give us all, quite all the picture. But we do get it when we look at some of the other books in the Bible. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul talks about a time. He says, The Lord stood by me and strengthened me for a purpose, right? So that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. So Paul was in Rome where they were happy to feed Christians to lions at the time that he wrote his letter to the Philippians. And he said, I have confidence that God's still got stuff for me to do, right? And that I'm going to return to you. And sure enough, we get to 2 Timothy 4, and he says, the Lord strengthened me for this purpose that I might continue the message. And so apparently, Paul was sentenced to die in the place where they fed Christians to the lions. In the Colosseum, but God rescued him. We don't get any of the details for that. What we do know is Paul did escape. He was freed at that time. 
And he was able to go share the gospel more. Then a few years go by, and there is a new Roman emperor, a guy named Nero. And he, if, if, if they were already not liking Christians, Nero really, really didn't like Christians. And so he arrests Paul, and Paul will eventually die at the hands of the Romans, but not being fed to lions in a Roman Colosseum. Fox's Book of Martyrs says the soldiers came, led him out of the city, that's Rome, to the place of execution, so he didn't die in the Colosseum, where after his prayers were made, he gave his neck to the sword. So Paul would die during his second imprisonment in Rome. But what I want you to see is he writes that in Philippians. He doesn't know what, he, but, but he, God is speaking to him. This is, a, again, this prophetic type thing where he's saying, look, this is what's going to happen. And sure enough, that is exactly what happened. Right down to getting fed to the lions. He got freed and he went and continued to spread the gospel until that time was over and it was time for him to be martyred for Christ. It's crazy. Paul says, I will rejoice and I will remain for God's purpose. In other words, God's not done with me yet. If I'm still here, God's got a purpose for me. If I'm dead, then that purpose is done and I'm with him. And either way, I'm celebrating and rejoicing. So guess what? That means if you are in this room and you're breathing air, God has a purpose for you. I don't care who you are. If you are in this room right now or anywhere else and you're still breathing, God has a purpose for your life. He's not done with you. He's not done with you until he says he's done. You know, he defines all that stuff. Until it's your turn to go home and be with Jesus. Paul had work to do. Guess what? If you're in here, you have work to do. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Your purpose. And what I want you to get, he says God has a purpose for you. And that purpose for Paul worked like the wheels in a, in, in a watch, a cogs in a watch. You know, that purpose governed everything he did in his life. Next slide, please. Nope, the slide that has purpose on it. Has a picture of a cock. There we go. I knew we'd get there. God, God has the, the purpose, and the purpose directs everything else in Paul's life. And he said that's how we're supposed to live. And he goes from talking about God's purpose for him to talking about God's purpose for you. Yes, to the people that he was writing in Philippi, but to you. And I want you to hear it. Philippians 1, 27 through 30. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation. And that from God, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engage in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. And Paul says, come on, man, you're right here with me. God has a purpose for you. And I want you to live your life like a Christian ought to live their life. 
And we go back to this idea of this cause and effect idea that ultimately what I believe directly impacts what I do. If I believe in my heart that if I jump off this stage right now, Dawson will catch me, all right, then I guess I will jump. I do not believe that, so I will not jump. <laughs> what you believe about Jesus should affect how you live your life. If I believe Jesus Christ is Lord, if I believe that he has a purpose for my life, then I'm going to want to know that purpose. I'm going to want to pursue that purpose. What I believe determines what I do. If I believe that God's called me to love people, then I guess I'm going to try to do that because I want to honor God and do the right thing. What I believe impacts what I do. It reminds me of this passage of Scripture, James chapter 2, 14 through 17, as he's talking about how, what, what real faith looks like. In other words, it's not just, oh, I believe, but what I believe affects the works I do, what I do. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, doesn't do anything? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. In other words, what good is it to say, oh, I'm a Christian. But when I look at your life, it looks nothing at all like what Jesus says a Christian's life should look like. That's a terrible thing to say. Because if we look in the mirror and we don't see anything, something's wrong. And Jesus is saying, what, what you believe, Paul is saying, what you believe about Jesus should impact the way you live your life. And impact the decisions that you make. End of story. And that, that is your, he tells you, pursue your purpose. And, and then he defines that purpose. One, standing firm together in unity through the Holy Spirit. I like that. Unified, together. I love, uh, you know, John, John was gone this morning because he's over at Bethel Hills working. We got a guy coming from a church in Marthasville, a uh, Baptist church in Marthasville, who's coming to get some audio equipment from us. We're going to a Baptist church for New Year's Eve. What I'm trying, there's unity in the faith. There's unity beyond this walls. There's unity in this room beyond, you know, we all don't live next to each other. We're not all related to each other. But whatever, we do have a family here. We do have leaders that love and care for us. We have each other that actually cares about one another. It's beautiful. And he says, not just standing firm in unity through the Holy Spirit, but working fearlessly side by side to proclaim the gospel. Not being scared of, uh, to, to, to just be nice, to, to, to tell somebody about Jesus. I don't have to be scared of that. Walking through this life like a walking billboard pointing others to Jesus. That when people see my life, Something stands out. Not that it makes me look good. It isn't about me. But that it points them to him. That's what signs are supposed to do. All right? And doing so even in the face of suffering. That's Paul's instructions for us. That we should live our lives in a way that draws other people 
to Jesus. That's it. So, I mean, short and sweet tonight, right? Famous last words. So, what's the point? Sean, why does all of this, why, why are we talking about all this? Why does it matter to me? First, I want you to grab this. This will, I'm telling you, you, you can go to therapists later and you can pay psychologists and psychiatrists later. Uh, you can do that after relationships collapse and jobs, collapse, all this stuff. Or you can just go ahead and decide right now. Okay, to, to grab hold of what I'm about to tell you. In a world that is quick to look for the negative, you and I as Christians, we are called to look for reasons to rejoice, to see the positives. I promise you, there are ton, the whole world full of people that are caught up in, in oh, they did, all these other things. Paul says, look for reasons to rejoice. Look for it. There's plenty of reasons. All right, It's really easy to get caught up in all the negative stuff. And, 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 and steal all the joy out of your life and make you a miserable, bitter person. There's a whole world full of people just like that. You all know tons of people like that. Don't be that person. Look for reasons to rejoice. You have reasons. Every person in this room, you have reasons to celebrate. Celebrate what God's doing. There is freedom, peace, and joy in knowing that God is working for my good and the good of others in every single circumstance. When I understand that God is working all things for good, for those called according to his purpose, even when crazy stuff happens in Russia, I may not understand how God's working all this stuff for good, but I can resolve in my heart. And therefore, I do not have to sit at home worried. Man, do I need to build a bomb shelter or something? Go no, I don't have to do that. I know that God's in control and it's going to be okay. Whatever it is, it's, it's, God's going to work it all out for good. All right? And there's peace there. And there is a lot of freedom there. I don't have to, to get caught up in the hype. There's freedom, peace, and joy in understanding that God has a purpose for you. And more than that, man, there's fulfillment. Uh, they, they talked to me when I first took this job. Oh, Sean, what do you think about this? You know, do you want to do this? I couldn't do anything else if I tried. Like, this is what I was created to do. And I cannot begin to tell you, I do not have a job. This is not a job. I don't like come to work. Like, I had jobs before where I'm like, man, I got to get up and go to work today. I don't ever feel like that. Not a single day. I am just excited and blessed to be here. I can't believe that this is what I'm called to do. And what I'm telling you is what your purpose may not be being a youth minister, but whatever God's purpose is for your life, when you find that and you step into that, you're going to have that same feeling. You're just going to know this is what I was made to do. And it's a whole different thing. The, whole, the rest of the world's pulling in a different direction. You can see all kinds of miserable people having all kinds of a miserable time, complaining, even, I mean, even the, the whatever. You look on uh, TV and you look at those guys out, you know, ladies out in Hollywood making all these big bucks, and they're miserable. Their lives are in chaos because they haven't found the thing. And what I'm telling you is God has a purpose for your life, and when you find that purpose, yeah, there's a pretty easy family to pick on there, isn't it? Not exactly living our lives for Christ. But when you find that, it's not a chore. Life's not a chore. It's not, it's not, I'm not saying that it's always easy, but man, it's fulfilling. It's a different thing. And last, how I live my life should point others to the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 1, 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. 
And it got me to thinking about this passage. I talk about it quite a bit. John 13, 35. Jesus is saying, what, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does that look like? What does your uniform look like? By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. And then, of course, my brain gets spinning. I'm like, okay, well, let me, what are some ways that I can, can help high school students understand and middle school students understand what that, what that means? Does it mean I need to be kissing everybody? Probably not. Nope, that's not it. But it might mean, uh, you know, helping somebody when they're having a hard time. You got to keep up with these slides. They're kind of an important part of this. Helping somebody. All right? You guys can all do that. You guys got schools full of people that are dying for some help. You, could, you can help people. All right? You can do that. Uh, it might be listening to someone. I mean, have you ever stopped talking about yourself long enough to actually listen to what somebody else's problems were, to empathize with them and, and actually connect? It's a pretty rewarding experience. Uh, highly, and it gets you out of your own problems as far as that goes. It's a pretty good thing. And there's a bunch of people that... Uh, like to talk about themselves as much as you like to talk about yourself. They really need an ear to listen to them. And uh, man, you can do that. Now, I mean, so far I've asked you to help people that are having a hard time and listen. I haven't asked you. I mean, these are not impossible things, right? Like, you guys can do this. Or it might mean, uh, you know, breaking the skin. Like, actually sitting. Uh, don't, don't be the guy that's like, you can't sit here. But actually being friendly to people at lunch, sitting with people you don't know, letting people that you don't know come sit by you, not, not, doing, not doing the high school thing or the middle school thing the way the middle school and high school thing is. And I'm not stupid. It's the same way it was when I was in school. I know it. You know it. Don't do that. We didn't got to do that. It might mean, this is a good one, taming your tongue. Like when somebody walks up and is like, hey, Bella. Did you hear about Bailey? Can you? Don't be that guy. Do you like that guy when somebody's talking about you? Yeah. No, you don't. Don't be the gossip. Like, don't be the gossip. Don't do it. Don't be the gossip. Don't be that guy or that young lady. Don't do it. Instead of, instead of being that person that tears people down and spreads rumors and all that stuff, why not do something different? Why not instead, I don't know, encourage one another? Instead of tearing people down and spending my time doing that, why don't, I mean, there's a whole world full of people that are hurting that, heck, man, they need a little encouragement. Raise your hand if somebody in this room has ever told you something encouraging. I hope everybody raises their hand. You should. And doesn't that feel good? I mean, I, I, mean, I don't have to go very far to hear plenty of people that don't want to tear me apart. It's nice to be surrounded by people that want to be encouraging. It's nice. The world needs people that are more encouraging. Why don't you be one of those people? You know, if you're sitting around thinking, man, I wish somebody would be a little more positive, it starts with you. <laughs> Clearly, you've identified a need. Fill the need. Encourage one another. It might mean 
inviting somebody to 212, inviting somebody to church, inviting somebody to come sit, actually saying, hey, man, you come hang out. Some, I mean, have, have you ever been invited by somebody that you thought was cool to come hang out with them? It's cool. It's like it feels good when somebody invites you and says, hey, I choose you. I want to hang out with you today. That's a good feeling. Why don't you do that to somebody else? Why don't you give them that good feeling? You can do that. Some of you in this room have done that. You've invited somebody. That's great. Keep doing that. Uh, and really, I mean, ultimately, I guess what I'm really saying, what am I really saying? <laughs> Save to live your life like the Lord Jesus Christ lived his. Right? He was always helping other people. Never, constantly. Go ahead, I double-dog dare you. Just read all the Gospels. He was constantly helping people. Constantly. It's always what he was doing. He always had a listening ear. He was always, he, as, the, God on earth, to say he had a little bit to say is an understatement, but the guy was always listening to other people. Always, always, always. And yes, he taught, and yes, he had profound things to say, and he was there for people, but the only way he could, he listened. He knew their needs. Jesus did that. He did that. He listened. He was always connecting with other people. And he sat down to eat with everyone and anyone. Absolutely anyone. He didn't go to the lunch hall, the cafeteria, and be like, you losers. No. Invited everybody, even the people in society that everyone looked down on the most. Jesus says, I want to go to your house and have dinner. Let's hang out. He was constantly reaching out to other people, constantly trying to build bridges, constantly. He never, ever, ever gossiped. He never went around talking trash. You understand, Judas, he knew that Judas was going to betray him. All right, it isn't like that happened and Jesus is like, never saw that coming. He created Judas. Before Judas was even born, he knew Judas was going to do that. Okay, he wasn't like surprised. Oh man, can't believe, he knew. But did he ever look at the other apostles and say, uh, you see that scumbag right there? That Judas is going to betray me. He never did that. I want you to think about that. Next time you're tempted to gossip about somebody, I want you to think of ah, Jesus. He didn't gossip about anybody. Absolutely. And instead, instead, he always had a word of encouragement. And sometimes those words of encouragement were hard. Like he would confront people. I mean, he would, he would send people away because they, they were in love with sin more than they were in love with God. But man, even then he did it lovingly. He was still trying to encourage him to do the right thing. He extended his invitation literally to everyone. The Gospels proclaim to the entire world. The invitation to salvation extends to everyone if they just accept Jesus. Accept his call. The, the, the call to a better life, an eternal life in him, a meaningful life reflecting him and his character in this world, pointing people to him. That invitation extends to everybody. If they'll just take it, he doesn't exclude anybody. He says, come here. 
you're invited. So when I tell you to be inviting, what? Jesus did that. You can do that. I didn't ask you to do an impossible thing. I know I'm old. Who was talking about my white, my white stash earlier? Now, the, what's funny is the older crowd's like, don't say you're old. <laughs> Bad Sean, you're grounded. Uh, they can ground me because they're older. Yeah. I know I'm, I'm older, but I can remember being a teenager and believing that the world, listen here, Bria, you got to hear this. Believing that the world should be better than what I seen around me because the world was crap. I remember being a teenager. And I was actually even crazy enough to believe that it should be better and that somehow we, you know, my, my group of, of, that we could make it better. I remember being a teenager. And it's true that I may have been crazy to think that, but, and it's a big but, I was not wrong. I wasn't wrong about that. We can do something. You can do something. For those of us who call Jesus Christ our Lord, this is exactly what we are called to do. You and I, to live our lives in a way that is worthy of the gospel of Christ in a way that proclaims to the world that Jesus is real, that he's present in this world, present in each of his children, and that he really is the way, the truth, and the life. The answer, the answer for the change our hearts are longing for. You guys all feel it. Every single person in this room knows the world sucks and needs to be better. You all know it. You're not wrong. It sucks and it needs to be better. And every single person in this room, if you thought all you had to do was go flip a switch and it's better, every single person in this room, I don't care who you are, I believe that you would get up and you'd flip that switch. It's written in your soul. You can't help it. You want things to be better. And you know they need to be. It takes a little bit more than flipping a switch, though. Are you willing to do that? And the truth is, you can't do it alone. You've got to have Jesus. You've got to have Jesus. That's the answer. He's the answer. My prayer tonight is that you know him. If you know him, then I guess you're able to, to lean on him, to reflect on him, and, and, yep, look for opportunities to listen, and look for opportunities to help. Look for opportunities to love. You know what's funny? I did not even say what you need to do is memorize the Bible and go out and actually share the gospel uh, in a detailed, uh, I, didn't, I didn't say you need to be a pastor. All those things I asked you to do were actually things that every single one of you tomorrow could go to school and do without any special training. Every single one of you tomorrow could go right into your school and literally do that and it would take nothing except some courage. <laughs> That's what it would really take is a little courage. I don't know he pointed at you.
I don't know what you did, but you're in trouble. But it starts with knowing him. If you don't know Jesus, if you, if you really don't, I encourage you to talk to any of the leaders in here. Come talk to me. Let's, let's start having some conversations. Um, because it starts there. And my goodness, if you do know him, then let's live lives worthy of the gift we've been given in Jesus Christ. Do you realize the tremendous gift that you've been given in eternal life? If you know him, you do. And again, you all know the world should be better than it is. There's a little part of you that says, I should be making this world better. Every person in this room, I know it's there. I don't, you, you can't deny it. This is what that looks like. Are you willing to do that? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness. Father, if there is a student that does not know you, Lord, I pray that you would embolden them, that you would soften their hearts, that they'd hear your voice, and that they begin pursuing you, answering your call to salvation, Lord. Please give them ears to hear, soft hearts, Lord. Father, for those who, who sit in this room and proclaim themselves to be Christians. Father, I pray that what they believe about you would be reflected in the lives that they live. That you would be glorified through our lives. Father, that you would use us to make an impact in this world. And, and yes, for, for some students in this room, they may very well go on to be uh, pastors and ministers and, and serve uh, and, and learn and grow and have a tremendous impact you know, uh, in, in, minist- in the ministry field. Write books and, and write songs and, 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 and have a, you know, a bigger impact than anything we could ever dream of. That, that may very well be the case for some of these students. But Lord, the truth is for all of us, you've given us a sphere of influence. You've given us an area where we can reflect your light and love into this world, Father. No matter what we're doing, whether we're at high school or middle school or or working in a hospital or or working in a a car garage or selling stuff at Walmart, you've given us a, a place and a purpose to help, to serve, really to love, to live our lives in a way that points them to you. Help us to do that, Father God. Give us the courage to do that. Thank you so much for your goodness and your love and your faithfulness. Thank you that you would even invite us to participate in this this thing that you're doing, this redemption that you're bringing, that you are making all things new. The reason our souls cry out for something better is because you have prepared something better that our souls are longing for. And it is to be with you forever, Lord. Just help us to draw as many people as possible. Your will be done, Lord, in that area. Lord, just help us, Lord, to point people to you. In Christ Jesus' name I pray, amen.